Welcome to the Rhodes Church Podcast. We are so excited to connect with you. We hope that this podcast builds your faith and that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. I want to jump right into the message today. I've got a lot to say, uh, as always, in a short amount of time to get it out. So I just want us to pray to prepare to receive what God wants us to hear. Father, I just thank you that none of us want to hear anything from me. We want to hear from you. So Holy Spirit, I ask you to come and teach the word to us. Open our eyes that we will see it from your perspective. Help us to see our world from your perspective, that we will be bold about what you're speaking into our hearts, Lord, that we will bring hope to the world, and that hope is Jesus. So, Lord, we just thank you for that. We just pray that you'll move in mighty ways today. In Jesus' name, everybody say amen. 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 All right, today we're going to continue our series called Let No One Deceive You. Let no one deceive you. The only way, the only antidote for being deceived is to know the truth. Here at the Roads, we believe the truth is God's word. And we get excited about it whenever we open it up. So if you got your Bibles, come on. Mount Carmel, E. Rhodes family, Norris City. Get those Bibles out. Let's open them up to 2 Thessalonians. Woo! Man, we had a great time at first Wednesday. Mount Carmel and Norris City was together all in one location. What a great time if you missed it. Uh, Wednesday night. It's exactly that. You missed it. But uh, man, what a great time together. Sermon notes are available there in your worship guide, YouVersion Bible app. You can open up that as well. I uh, encourage you to bring your Bible to church, especially in any time, bring your Bible. But as I'm teaching the Word, I want you to be able to look at it in your own Bible, underline it, highlight it, write something in the marge, margins. Today we're going to focus our talk around the idea of recognizing or acknowledging the man of sin the son of perdition, or the Antichrist, however you want to talk about it. We're going to talk about specifically how to identify him, where he's going to come from, because we're preparing to endure difficult times. We're not trying to avoid or escape them. Amen. Second, Second Thessalonians chapter 1. Let's start reading verse 1. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means. For that day, what's that day? The coming, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. That day will not come unless, what's going to happen? Unless the falling away comes first, which is the departure from the truth, walking away from the truth of the word of God, and, so and means both of these things. He will not come unless falling away comes first and, so that has to come with it, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. That day will not come unless those two things happen. So we can't be both raptured and see the Antichrist revealed at the same time. It's important for us to understand that distinction. I can't be raptured and see the Antichrist revealed. So when the Bible says that that day will not come unless these things happen, we at least have to pay attention to what it's talking about. So the Bible says that one thing about the Antichrist that's important, he will deceive many. Now how will he deceive many? He will deceive many because many will not have the Bible as their source of truth. That's the only way we're going to keep from being deceived is we have to read and understand what the Bible says. So, Because we're not going to be looking to the same sources of truth that maybe we've looked to in the past. 
when we're talking about how will he be revealed, how will the Antichrist be revealed, will the news media come on some night and say, hey, good news, we've located the Antichrist? No, that will not happen. Why will that not happen? It will not happen because the world is not looking for the Antichrist. The church is the only one looking for the Antichrist. The world doesn't even believe there is an Antichrist. So they're not going to report about an Antichrist. So stop looking to the world to give you information about something they know nothing about. They don't know anything about it. They're not looking for it. So let's stop looking to them as our source of truth. We're looking at things that are eternal. They're looking at things that are temporal. So who are you listening to for truth? Are you listening to the media? Uh, medical field, CDC, NIHS, pharmaceutical companies. Here's what's important. There are good people in all of those fields, but we do not blindly trust any of those fields. Just like there are good preachers in my field, but I don't expect you to trust everyone who says they're a man of God or a woman of God. You better not trust everybody just because, well, I'm a preacher, so you better listen to me. The same way you don't trust everyone in that field, you don't trust everyone in any other field. There's good and bad people. There's good people. There are criminals in every field. So we have to have a trust based on the Word of God. In 1983, 90% of the media was owned by 50 companies. 1983. Now, 90% of what we read, watch, and listen to is owned by six companies. 90% of everything we read, watch, and listen to is owned by six companies. And if you'll research those six companies, it's important for you to understand whether they hold a Christian worldview or not. If 90% of everything you're hearing, watching, or, see, or uh, listening to is coming from people that have an anti-Christ worldview, then we cannot look to them to tell us the truth. I'm just saying, Christians, we got to wake up and realize the only source of truth in the end times is the Word of God. I'm not looking to social media to tell me the truth when they don't even know the basics of truth. That's another time. Let's move on. So, so, <laughs> so here's what the question I want to ask. Is the Bible an accurate source of truth? If the Bible's been accurate in predicting the future in the past, can we trust it for predicting the future currently? That's what I'm going to lay the groundwork. So let's go to Daniel chapter 2. I'm going to show you some things how the Bible has been accurate in predicting the future in the past, and so we need to trust it moving forward. In Daniel chapter 2, the book of Daniel is a great book, 12 chapters. You can read it in just a short amount of time. The first six chapters of the book of Daniel is historical. Just things that happen in history. The second six books are all about four visions that Daniel received. And all of those visions find their fulfillment in the end times around the generation that the Lord returns, which is hopefully around us. So now in Daniel chapter 2, the king Nebuchadnezzar, not to be confused with Nebuchadnezzar, had a dream. And in his dream... He wanted everybody to interpret it for him, but he also wanted him to actually tell him what it was. And they said, nobody can do that, but then they brought in Daniel. So let's read. This is Daniel. God showed him not only the interpretation, but he showed him actually what the dream was. So Daniel comes in to tell him the actual dream. He says, you, O king, verse 31, this is happening, keep in mind, in 603 B.C. 
603 B.C. You, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. This image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron, partly of clay. You watched while a stone was cut out without hands. Man, that's really important. Not a man-made stone. This non-man-made what is that word? Stone, thank you. Which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay, broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain or kingdom and filled the whole earth. This is a dream. Now we will tell the interpretation of it before the king. You, O king, are a king of kings, for the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And whatever, wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, he has given them into your hand and has made you ruler over them all. You are this head of gold. So now the dream is you've got a head of gold, you've got silver, bronze, iron, and clay in this big image or this big statue. And he starts it off by saying, hey, here's the interpretation, king. Your kingdom right now, currently, as I'm talking, 603 B.C. Daniel, the king or the gold king is you. So he just lays it out where we're starting, Okay. He said, it's the king. But then he said, or it's, it's the king of uh, Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. But after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours. Of course, I would say that too if I was talking to the current king. <laughs> inferior to. Then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, as much as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. Whereas you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, yet the strength of the iron shall be in it just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay. Okay, I'm going to stop there. So he says, here's this big image. You are the head of gold, king. So the first kingdoms that he starts to lay out here, the head of gold was Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq. Then he has the chest and arms of silver that represents Medo-Persia empire that conquered the Babylonian empire historically. This is what I'm telling you, things that actually happened in history. The belly and thighs of bronze represents the Greek empire, which overcame the Medo-Persians. And there's a point in this, trust me, so stay with me. The legs and feet and toes of iron and clay were the Roman Empire that conquered the Greek Empire. So what happened? In one dream in 603 B.C., God predicts through the interpretation of Daniel the rulers of the entire earth, known world at that time, for the next 2,100 years. Bang, 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 bang. Babylon, going to be overcome by Medo-Persia, going to be overcome by the Greeks, going to be overcome by Rome. Bam, 2,100 years, God lays it out right then accurately. So now, if the Bible could be trusted for actually about the past, can we trust it for the future? Let's go to Daniel chapter 7. You're like, Chad, how do I know that those kingdoms were the ones you're talking about? I know the first one's Babylon because he says that, but how do I know the rest of them? Great question. Let's go to Daniel 7 and I'll answer that for you. Daniel 7, this is 50 years later. So now Daniel has a dream or a vision himself. 
The first one was a dream of Nebuchadnezzar, but now 50 years later, Daniel has his own. Look at this in verse 1. It says, in the first year, Belshazzar, king of Babylon, new king, this is the son of Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head while on his bed. Then he wrote down the dream telling the main facts. So he has this dream, gets up, starts writing it down. And Daniel spoke saying, I saw in my vision by night and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. What's the great sea is the Mediterranean Sea. And four great beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. And I watched till its wings were plucked off and, I, and it was lifted up above the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man and a man's heart was given to it. And suddenly another beast, a second like a bear, was raised up on one side and there had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And they said thus to it, arise and devour much flesh. After this I looked and there was another like a leopard which had on its back four wings like a bird. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. Verse 7, after this I saw in the night visions, behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. Remember the iron and the clay in the dream? Iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. Now, what's the interpretation of this? We've got lions, we've got bears, we've got leopards, and we've got another fourth beast. Oh, my, lions and tigers and bears. So we got all of this. Jump down to verse 15. We'll get the interpretation. Daniel saw these beasts coming up out of the Mediterranean Sea, and it freaked him out. He was grieved, and his body and visions in his head troubled him. Verse 16, he comes near to this angel that was there, and he begins to ask them, hey, what is the truth of all this? So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. Here's what they are. Verse 17. Those great beasts, which are four, are four kings or kingdoms which arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. Verse 18 should be very encouraging. He's saying to you that, hey, these four kings, beasts that come up out of the sea are four kingdoms or four kings. It's going to be the same ones that Nebuchadnezzar just saw in his dream. So 2,100 years of history going to be predicted. Here's, here are the four beasts. You see them right there. That This is kind of just an image of what it may have looked like. But in verse 18 it says, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. I cannot emphasize enough. The saints of the Most High will receive the kingdom forever and ever and ever and ever. You want to be on the side of the saints of the Most High. We may not always be the cool kids in pop culture, but those who serve Jesus, that's the squad you want to be running with. That's the people you want to be hanging with. Because when all this comes to a close, only the saints of the Most High will reign forever and ever. What's up? Somebody talk to me. If you're a Christian, don't hold your head in shame and be intimidated by the world. You're the one that's going to reign forever and ever. Pray for them, love them, encourage them. Hey, get on my squad, man. We're going to run this whole thing because of Jesus. That's just what the Bible says, the saints of the most high. So now, what's the interpretation? What are these four kings? Important to understand, beasts in the Bible, when it talks about beasts, it's not talking about individuals, it's talking about kingdoms. 
So whenever it says four beasts came out, it's talking about four uh, kingdoms came out. That's going to be important when we get to Revelation. We start reading Revelation. When you talk about beasts in Revelation, you're not talking about some crazy animals. We're talking about actual kingdoms with rulers that raise up. So now look at verse 4. What's the first one? The first one was a lion. The lion in Bible in the Bible always represents, uh, the lion and the eagle are used to describe the Babylonian empire. So same thing, like the gold was in the dream, the lion is the Babylonian empire. Nebuchadnezzar, you know, it says here that the eagle's wings were plucked off and all that. That's an example of what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. If you'll read chapter 4 of Daniel, he was humbled, he was domesticated, and lost his kingdom. All that happened uh, there in Daniel chapter 4. So now the Babylonian kingdom was the first one. That's modern-day Iraq. I think I got a map Maybe, yes, they've got them up. I just want to take a big shout out to our crew. We had some major technical difficulties today, but they worked all morning long to get this ready. So now the first service didn't have these maps, but you have them because our crew. Can we give it up to our production team? Thank you, guys. Appreciate you so much. So now, here's, here's a picture of the Babylonian Empire in history. Again, around modern-day Iraq is where it started, and then began to move up to the north, west, and come down and, and uh, overtake the part of Israel. That's the first beast that came out. So now the second one came up. The second one is a bear is raised up on one side and had three ribs in its mouth. So you see the, the bear here, it's got these ribs in its mouth, and, and it's raised up on one side. Why is it raised up on one side? Because the Medo-Persian Empire was built of, made up of two kingdoms, the Medes and the Persians. And if you look, go, just hold your place there and go over to Daniel chapter 8. I want you to see something in verse 3. This is another vision that Daniel had, and we'll talk about the Medo-Persian Empire. Verse 3, then I lifted my eyes and saw, and there standing beside the river was a ram which had two horns. And the two horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher one came up last. What does that mean? The Medo-Persian Empire, Medes and the Persians. The Medes started out, then the Persians came up later, but they became bigger and stronger and overtook the Medes and was the dominant part of the Medo-Persian Empire. So the horn had two horns. One of them came up later, but one of them grew up bigger. Why did the bear raised up on one side? That's because the Persians were stronger than the Medes. Again, this is predicted long before it happened in actual history. He said, I saw the ram, verse 4, pushing westward, northward, and southward. Why is that? Because it's coming from Iraq. And so it begins to push westward, northward, and southward. Bring up the map again, if you would, please, of the, of the uh, Medo-Persian, this is the Medo-Persian, sorry, the Medo-Persian Empire, the next one. It'd be, I jumped the gun on you. Okay, right here. So Medo-Persian Empire, the Persia is modern-day Iran. Persia's Iran. So Iran started to move. There's the Mede in the middle. So they began to move towards the west, to the north, and down in the south. And so going southward so that no animal could withstand him, nor was there any that could deliver from his hand, but he did according to his will and became great. And you're like, Chad, how do I, how do I know that you're talking about the Medes and the Persians? It's just a ram with two horns. How do, are you making that up? I'm glad you asked that. Jump down to verse 20. It says, the ram which you saw having two horns, they are the kings of Media and Persia. <laughs> Let the Bible explain the Bible. If we will follow the Bible, it lays it out for us, but we just got to study a little bit. It's not going to jump on my Instagram feed. 
I may have to do a little research. But if I will read a few verses, so I know that the ram with the two horns are the kings of Media and Persia. So we see that happening in there, and that beast, and the and the. You say, well, what about the ribs? What about the ribs? The three ribs in its mouth is represented because, and if you'll bring up that map again, sorry, the of the the three countries or the three empires that they overcame to become the Media Persian Empire was Lydia, Babylon, and Egypt. You see. Uh, Babylon right there in the middle, Lydia, Libya down here in the bottom, southwest there uh, around Egypt, and then Egypt itself. Those are the three that it overcame to become the Medo-Persian. Now let's look at the next one. Go to, back to verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 6. After, the, after this I looked, and there was another like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast had also four heads. So what, what conquered the Medo-Persian empire? The Greek empire, Alexander the Great. Now, this one is represented by a leopard and it has four wings. Why does it have four wings? It's four wings because the kingdom of Alexander the Great was so fast, it conquered territory faster than any kingdom in history. It came on the scene. Now, let's say, well, how do you know that it's uh, the kingdom of Greece? Let's go back to chapter 8. Look at verse 5. As I was considering this ram with two horns, with one that came up higher than the other one, suddenly a male goat came from the west. Is Greece west of Iran? Yes. In case you weren't sure, I'll answer that for you. Yes, it is. From the west, across the surface of the whole earth, without touching the ground. What do you mean without touching the ground? Because he was running so fast It's like he wasn't even touching the ground. And it says, and the goat had a notable horn between his eyes. Then he came to the ram that had two horns, which I had seen standing beside the river, and ran at him with furious power, and I saw him confronting the ram. He was moved with rage against him, attacked the ram, and broke his two horns. And there was no power in the ram to withstand him, but he cast him to the ground and trampled him, and there was no one that could deliver the ram from his hand. Therefore, the male goat grew very great, Alexander the Great, but when he became strong, the large horn was broken, and in place of it, four notable ones came up toward the four winds of heaven. Now, Chad doesn't say anything in, in there about being the Greece. How do you know that was Alexander the Great? Good question. Jump down to verse 21. And the male goat is the kingdom of Greece. The large horn that is between its eyes is the first king. What was the first king, the notable king? That's Alexander the Great. As for the broken horn and the four that stood up in its place, four kingdoms shall arise out of that nation, but not with its power. What is it talking about historically? Alexander the Great conquers all this territory, becomes massive. It's incredible. Only 32 years of age. While he's still strong, he abruptly dies. 32 years old. That horn will be broken. And then after it, it says, four kingdoms shall rise out of that nation. So now, what happened? He was only 32 years old. His kingdom was too vast, and his kids were too young. So he could not give his kingdom to his kids. So they split up his kingdom among his generals. Guess how many generals there were? Do your own research. Four. So four horns, four kingdoms grew out of the one. All of this was predicted in Daniel long before it ever happened in history. 
pretty cool. You're like, I don't really think it's cool. I'm just saying. Why is that important? Let's bring up the map of Alexander's kingdom. Look at the kingdom of Alexander, how vast it was. Why is this important? It's important because we're going to read in the Bible where the Antichrist is going to come out of one of those four sections of Alexander's kingdom. The Bible says that. So we're going to see how it is. So notice the picture. Now notice all these kingdoms. We talked about Babylon. We've talked about the Medo-Persian. We've talked about the Grecian. Now let's look at the next one. Let's go to the next one. Uh, The next one, verse 7 of chapter 7. This is, after this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. Now notice this fourth beast. What, what empire overtook and defeated the Grecian Empire in history? It was the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire. So now notice what happens. This beast then, the fourth beast represented by the Roman Empire, has three stages. Important for us to understand this prophetically. Number one, the fourth beast represents the Roman Empire historically. Number two, it represents an end-time confederation. Notice it talks about ten horns. There'll be ten kings. We'll talk about that more in a moment. And then thirdly, it represents the Antichrist dictatorship. So look in the bottom of verse 7 there. It says, before it and it had ten horns. Ten horns. Remember the statue. If we bring up the side of the statue now, you're going to see some, a pattern. Notice the head of gold was Babylon, the chest of silver, Medo-Persia, the thighs of bronze is Greece, legs of iron and feet of clay, and had ten toes. Now the beast, the lion is Babylon, the bear is Medo-Persia, and then the leopard was Greece, and then the beast had ten horns. Ten horns, ten toes. All of that coming together in this fourth, last kingdom. What does that mean? What does that have to do with what we're talking about? I'm glad you asked. Go to chapter 7, look at verse 19. Verse 19. What are the ten horns and what are the ten toes? Chad, I'm confused. I am too. Let's read the Bible. Verse 19. Then I wish to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from the others, exceedingly dreadful with its teeth of iron and its nails of bronze, which devoured and broke in pieces and trampled the residue with its feet. And the ten horns that were on its head, that was kind of confusing, and the other horn which came up before which three fell, namely that horn which had eyes and a mouth which spoke pompous words, whose appearance was greater than his fellows. This is tricky. I was watching, and the same horn was making war against the saints. Now, hold on, I know this horn that comes up. As eyes and mouth, pompous words, it's going to make war against the saints and it's going to prevail against them until, <laughs> until the ancient of days came. Woo! And judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High and the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. <laughs> I don't know if you interpret that or not, but that's good news. In case you're not sure what that means. That means a lot for us. Let's let's go ahead. I'll read some more. Verse 23. Thus he said, the fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all other kingdoms. 
and shall devour the whole earth, trample it, and break it in pieces. So now we get to find out what the ten horns were. Verse 24. The ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom. Now bring up the map of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire, notice the vastness of the Roman Empire. Now notice the geographical location of the Roman Empire that we're talking about. Notice that all these, so now we had, let's go back through them. Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, now Roman. Notice that they're all in the same area. Where are they on the global scene? They're in the Middle East. The Bible is a Middle East-centric book. It is not a Western world-centric book. Where people fail is we read the Bible through the eyes of Americans. The Bible is not centered around the United States of America. Shock and awe. We like to make everything about us. The Bible is centered around Israel. Israel is the center of God's focus and attention in the end times. So notice where all these people are. Now notice he says 10 kingdoms or 10 kings will arise from this kingdom. So now 10 leaders are going to come together out of this area and they're going to form a union. They're going to form a peace accord. They're going to come together and it's not the European Union. That's long gone. There's like too many people in the European Union now. This is a Middle Eastern Union that's going to take place. So be ready. So you're watching these peace like United Arab Emirates. Took me a second to spit that out. Other countries are going to come to Israel to sign a peace agreement. Ten of them are going to come together. All right, now, now keep going. Who shall rise from this kingdom and another shall arise after them. Now hold up, we're going to have ten. Why are we going through this? Because this is what's going to play out on the news. That you're going to see ten kings come together and then another is going to come after them. Watch when that one pops up. Another one will rise after them. He shall be different from the first ones and shall, and shall subdue three kings. We'll come back to that. He shall speak pompous, pompous words against the Most High, shall, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change times and law. Oh, that's important. Whew. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time and times and half a time. We'll explain more of that later. Let me close with this. I'm going to give you five major signs of the Antichrist. You ready? Let's jot these down. Five major signs. I'm going to go quickly because we don't have time for me to explain each one of them. Go to chapter 7, look at verse 8. Five major signs of the Antichrist. Why does it matter, Chad? Why do I care about where the Antichrist is? We need to know because he's going to try and deceive the whole world, and the church is the one that needs to have answers for the world. Verse 8 of chapter 7. I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little one. The first sign of the Antichrist, he will be a little regional leader first. Little horn. He'll be a regional leader that will be accepted by these ten kings. He will come up in that ten king confederation in that part of the world. He's not going to come from New York City. He's not going to come from L.A., People start talking about the Antichrist coming from Carmi. He's not coming from Carmi. He's not coming from North City. It's going to be Middle Eastern descent. That's important. 
for us to understand that. So he's going to be a little regional leader first, okay? The little horn. But then look what happens. A little horn coming up among them. So number two, he will come up within that ten king confederation. He'll have unusual favor amongst those ten kings. Remember, he came up after them, the eleventh one. We read about that in, in chapter 7. Now, where will he come from? Go over to chapter 8. I'm going to throw this in. Where's he going to come from? I'll, I'll expound on this more later and give you some more specifics, but I'm just going to throw this nugget out there. Therefore, the male goat grew very great, but when he became strong, remember 32, he died. The large horn was broken, and in place of it, four notable ones came up, his four generals toward the four winds of heaven. Verse 9, and out of one of them came a little horn. Little horn, Antichrist, came out of one of them. What was one of them? One of the four sections, one of the four regional generals. Which one was it? Great question, the Bible tells us. We don't have to guess. Out of one of them came a little horn which grew exceedingly great towards the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land. Now bring up the map of the four generals, the breakdown of the land. So when when Alexander the Great's kingdom, if we got it, it's the one with the green... um, that one, thank you, great job. All right, so now this is the land of Alexander the Great, and it was broken up among four generals. Now, which one could it be that the Antichrist will come from? Notice what it says. He's going to grow toward the south. The little horn's going to grow towards the south, towards the east, and towards the glorious land. Now, I can't go back and actually touch it, but... If you go back to Israel, if you see where Israel is, right there towards the Mediterranean Sea, it's in the brown section, coming up into Syria. If he's going to grow towards the south and towards the east, if we're going to know his origin or where he comes from, then we've got to go backwards. We've got to think towards the north and towards the west. Which one of the four general sections is towards the north and towards the west? There's only two that qualify. The section of the green there that's to the north and to the west is where it says he's going to grow from. I particularly believe it's out of Turkey. And I will explain that to you in more detail on why I have even more evidence that it's going to be out of Turkey that the Antichrist is going to come from. I don't have his name or address yet, but I have what I believe to be the country that he's going to come from. And I got a lot of reasons to support that, but I don't have time to talk about him there. So now let's go to the third one. He comes up from among them, uh, back to verse 8 of chapter 7. He's a little one coming up among them, among before whom three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. So now the next thing, the sign of the Antichrist, he comes in, joins this ten king confederation, and then he removes three of them. Watch it on the news. Jot it down. You'll see, hey, you got this 10-king peace agreement. It's so fantastic. It's what we've been praying for in the Middle East for our years and years and years. It's going to be the answer to the Middle East peace problem, this 10-king confederation. And then one of them's going to come up, a regional leader out of the midst of them, and then he's going to remove three of them. The one that removes three of them, watch him. Watch him. He's going to remove three by the roots. And there in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man. He's going to be just a normal looking dude. Eyes of a man. He's not going to glow with red eyes and say, hey, I'm Satan. Come worship me. He's not going to do that. That's why many people are going to be deceived because he's going to be slick as a whistle. 
He's going to have answers. That eyes of a man, he's going to have supernatural insight into problems. He's going to bring answers to problems that people have been looking for answers for. And he's going to, we're talking Nobel Peace Prize type attention. We're talking about everybody looking at him and going, you the man. You the man. That's how slick he's going to be. So how are we going to be able to pick him out? Because we know our Bible. It's the only way. Because everybody else is going to be duped, hoodwinked, bamboozled. The eyes of man and a mouth speaking pompous words. He's going to have an incredible speaking gift. He's going to be very eloquent. He will boast great things that will impress people and make them feel important. He will be pompous. He will win people over. Uh, there's another place. I don't have time to go there. But he's going to win people over with flattery. He's going to tell people what they want to hear. And they're going to think, oh, this guy, he's the one. He's the one, all right. He's the wrong one. He's the one we should be watching because he's the one that's going to bring travesty against Israel in the Middle East. All of those nations around it, and we're going to break this down. I'm, uh, I know what's going to happen. I'm going to start thinking, wanting to talk about it, but we can't get into that right now. So don't even ask me. Go to let me, this last scripture, verse 10 of chapter 8. And it grew, this is the little horn that grew to the south, to the east, and towards Israel. It grew up to the hosts of heaven, and it cast down some of the hosts, some of the stars to the ground, and trampled them. He even exalted himself as high as the prince of hosts, and by him the daily sacrifices were taken away. Abomination of desolation, we talked about that. And the place of his sanctuary was cast down because of transgression. An army was given over to the horn to oppose the daily sacrifices, and he cast truth to, down to the ground and did all this and prospered. He's going to be successful for a time. He's going to be successful for a time and he's going to be successful in a region. So we've got to be aware. All right. I've got to stop there. Has your interest peaked yet about the Antichrist? Why do we need to know about these things? Because the church a lot of times has been talking about things that don't matter irrelevant. But if you will learn and start reading your Bible, you will have a roadmap to what's going to happen on the news and you won't be fooled. So it's time for the church to get this back out, dust it off and realize there's more than knowing the story of David and Goliath. That's a great story. I'm all about David and Goliath. But I also would like know, to know what's going to happen in the future so I can tell my kids. I can be aware of what's going to happen. I can be aware of strategies. I can be, I can be aware of what's going to happen because the world, the news, will not be able to tell us because they don't know. They just don't know. They're ignorant. They're going to be deceived. This is why I'm not looking to the news media to give me truth. I'm looking to the Word of God to give me truth. I'm not looking to a, to a group of people that have been bought and paid for to tell me the truth. I'm going to look at the Word of God. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to give, please visit us at theroads.church. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch our latest sermons.